I'm going to read this morning from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. Hear the word of the Lord. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into, he into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for cer certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that as every single one of us 
the one who is speaking your word as well, as we sit under the authority of your word. We pray that you will speak to us. We pray that you will do that work in us, that you, Lord Jesus, would make us more like yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit working through your word, we pray. Change us, transform us in our hearts, in our minds, in our practices. I pray and ask this for all of us in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, in his play, Romeo and Juliet, William Shakespeare puts these words in the mouth of Romeo, what's in a name? What's in a name? And the question comes as a response to Juliet's distressed cry that is, it is only Romeo's family name that keeps them apart. He is from a family that is feuding with her family. If only he could get rid of that name, then they could be together. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. Well, if we could, if we could speak to Romeo and interrupt his romantic speech and answer his question, we would have told him it depends on the name. <laughs> it depends on the name. We would have told old Romeo that there is a name that isn't just a mere title, that isn't just a cute or creative expression of our own mind, that isn't a mere representation of our own human aspirations and desires. No, Romeo, there is a name that is different from all the rest. Different, not because it uses different letters of the alphabet or because it is spoken in a different tongue. No, there is a name that is different from all the rest because it is in that name that salvation comes to all the earth. It is in that name that the promise of God to defeat our sin and death came into this world. It is, it is in that name that the rule of God has come into the world to set people free from the rule of Satan and the rule of sin and the rule of death. It is in that name that all of the enemies of God's people will be utter, ultimately confronted, restrained, and subdued. It is in that name that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. It is in that name that the world will be made new and set free from all that corrupts it. There is a name that saves. And it is to declare that name that God's people were called out into the world to be his witnesses. And so Peter stands up, stands up to explain what was happening in these believers who were speaking the mighty deeds of God in languages that were not their own, having no previous training in those languages. He quotes the prophet Joel, who spoke of a day when God would visit the people, his people, in righteousness and mercy, a day when God would set in motion his plan for the salvation of his people. What they were seeing, Peter proclaims, was not drunk folk, because it was too early in the day for that. Rather, what they were seeing, what they were seeing were people filled with the Spirit of God, as Joel had promised. They were seeing those last days, the days of God's salvation coming to expression. And the fulfillment of that salvation of God 
coming to set his people free was tied to a name, a person whom Peter is about to proclaim to all who are listening. And you who sit here this morning, those of you who are in this room, who are believers, you know that name. The one whom Job promised would bring salvation to all who call on him, Peter is about to tell us, is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. And the reason that truth still resonates, the reason it still resonates with us is because there have always been and continue to be other names that promise the salvation that only He can bring. And the world still runs after all those names, doesn't it? Still runs after the names of favorite rulers, the names of favorite teachers, the names of favorite politicians, the name of favorite idols, and says to them in so many ways, save us, deliver us, bring us a blessed life, fruitfulness, prosperity, joy, hope, success, bring us salvation. But you know, those names, no matter how great they are, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how much influence they have, no matter their position, those names cannot save us from our ultimate enemies, the enemies that have divided us from God and each other and the creation itself. But there is a name. There is a name that saves, and that name, brothers and sisters, is the name of Jesus. And Peter proclaims it to us. And he says, this Jesus is that name in which salvation has come. This Jesus is our hope, the hope of all the earth. This Jesus is the one who we have been called out to witness about. And this Jesus is the one in whom we have been called to put our trust. And so those who hear our witness will no doubt ask the question, why? Why this Jesus? Why this Jesus? And this morning, the Lord answers them in our text. And in so doing, He reminds us of why our hope and our trust must remain in this Jesus. And so just for a few moments, I want to talk about this Jesus, and I want to talk about what this Jesus has done or what God has done through this Jesus for us, that we should put our trust and our hope in Him. So why must we put our trust, why must we put our hope in this Jesus? Well, this Jesus, God delivered up. This Jesus, God delivered up. Listen again to verses 22 and 23. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That, that Jesus had died was a truth that folk all over the region at that time knew about. Even these inhabitants from different parts of the world knew that Jesus had died. Peter makes it clear that even those listening to his voice were witnesses to the works that God had done through him, work attesting to the fact 
that Jesus had been sent by God. And yet, despite this fact, despite God's proving that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was in fact sent from God, they, even the folks standing before Peter as he speaks, helped to put that Jesus to death. Though they were not the ones who carried out the death sentence, they were among those calling for his death, death, asking Rome to crucify him. Yes, that's right. The one sent to them by God to bring to them the promise of the long-awaited kingdom of God. They, through the hands of lawless men, men who did not know or care about the law of God, through those hands they put Jesus to death. If you want to understand the depths of human depravity, human sinfulness, if you will, then look no further than the fact that we, God's image bearers, for our own wicked and selfish ends, would kill His only Son. And in case you were thinking, I wasn't there, that's on them. Well, just remember that the apostles, as they were empowered by the Spirit more and more to understand the events of the life of Jesus, came to realize that it was not just some people's sins that sent Jesus to death, but all our sins. We weren't there physically, but the same sin that animated the actions of these folks, that sin is in you and me. It's in us. The same rebellion against God's rule is in all of us, and we know it. We don't always want to admit it, but we know it deep down. It is inside of us. We want to rule over our own lives. We want to rule over our own communities. We want to rule over this world. We want to shape things to our own ends. And if it means rebelling against God to get it, well then, we will do what we have to do. But there is something else in this text, something that comes before our sin, something that comes before our rebellion, before the lawless hands of men that put the Lord to death. Peter tells us that Jesus' death didn't start actually with our plans, but rather it started with the plan of God. God's plan included our rebellion. It did not happen outside of God's foreknowing our rebellion, but it wasn't based on our actions. Instead, from the foundations of the world, God in His own counsel determined to give up His Son for us. And the apostles would later flesh out the full meaning of this truth, yet here it is for us to grasp if we can see it. God in His plan of salvation, the salvation spoken of by Job, the salvation that comes to all who call on the name of the Lord, included God's determination to hand over His Son to death. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that He gave up His own Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's right. The very world represented in these Jews from all these different nations who are standing in front of Peter, the world complicit 
in putting Jesus to death because of our own selfish desires and passions. That world caught in the grips of sin and death, it is that world that God loved so much that He gave up His own Son. He stared down your sin, your rebellion, your wickedness, your hatred of Him. He looked at that in its face, and yet He still said, I am going to give up my Son for you, for your salvation, for your deliverance, to set you free from sin and death. And that should blow your mind <laughs> that God in His own counsel, before the foundations of the world, and despite knowing the depths of our depravity, determined to hand over His Son <laughs> for you and for me. <laughs> this Jesus, God delivered up. This Jesus, God delivered up. But this Jesus, God did not just deliver up. This Jesus, God raised up. This Jesus, God raised up. Listen again to what Peter says. He says, God raised them up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. And my flesh also dwelt in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, but being therefore a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that he was set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. God had, a, God had promised David that he would establish his kingdom, God's eternal kingdom through one of David's descendants, and that Jesus was from the line of Judah, David's tribe, was known by all, even if that was not a point that Jesus emphasized, emphasized a lot in his own ministry. He was David's descendant. But there's a problem here. Jesus had died. The Romans had executed him. How is he going to sit on David's throne if he's dead? But Peter reminds his hearers of the words of David himself. He reminds them of Psalm 16, where David makes mention of his flesh dwelling in hope, of not being left in the grave, of not seeing corruption. But if David was speaking about himself, then there would be a problem, because David's grave during the day was still visible, and his body was still in it. And even more, it had definitely seen corruption in the sense of decaying. So who in the world was David talking about? Well, Jesus' crucifiers had miscalculated. You see, when they executed Jesus, they thought they were doing what they had done to hundreds if not thousands of men before them. They were doing to this man what they had done to all men who had dared to stand against Rome's rule. But they had miscalculated. For the one they had placed in the grave was not just anyone. <laughs> he was, as David promised, God's holy one. 
they hadn't just put a man in that grave, they put God's Holy One in that grave. They put the one whom the writer of Hebrews says is the radiance of his glory, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. No wonder, Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Yeah, death, death had really grabbed Jesus, it had really grabbed Jesus on that Friday, even after he had been crucified. He was laid in that tomb that night, having breathed his last on the cross. But how are you going to hold on to something more powerful than you? How is a thing within the created order going to hold on to the one whom created everything? How is a thing in the world going to hold on to the one who upholds the world? Peter doesn't say death fought a good fight and lost. He doesn't say death had a real chance but got outlasted in the end. No, Peter says it was not possible for death to hold him. It was not possible for it to keep him in the grave. It was not possible for it to hold him because he is the one who created everything and everybody. And so he got up. <laughs> he got up with all power in his hands. And the reason this is good news for us is that it means that we don't serve a dead Jesus. Yeah, we don't, we don't serve a dead Jesus. We don't serve a good man who lived a good life and did great things, but like so many before him, was crushed under the powers of the world with only the memory of him living on. No, we serve a risen Savior. That is our testimony. Our testimony is that he was not left in the grave, that he did not see corruption, but that God raised him from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. We serve the Holy One of God the beloved of his Father, who did not leave him in the grave but raised him up for our vindication, that is to prove that he was in the right and for our justification, God's act of declaring us right on the basis of what he did. This Jesus was delivered up, and this Jesus God raised up. Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> he was delivered up for your sins, and he was raised up for your justification. Amen, people of God. Well, if that's not enough, it's not enough that he was delivered up, and if it was not enough that God raised him up, I got one more for you before I leave. This Jesus, God named up. I'm going to create a phrase for you. This, this, this Jesus, God named up. Listen again to the Apostle Peter. He says this, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord 
and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And this Jesus was delivered up, this Jesus was raised up, and this Jesus was named up. Peter now confronts his hearers with another powerful truth. And that truth is that God, having raised him up from the dead, sat him down at his right hand. And any Jew at the time would have understood what was being claimed here. Remember, this is the very statement that had caused the high priest to tear his robes. In the recounting of Jesus' life that was done by Luke's contemporary, the apostle Matthew, Matthew 26, we read this, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. To sit at God's right hand, the right hand of power would have been interpreted as making him equal with God. And that Jesus was somehow equal with God was blasphemy in their eyes. And David had not ascended to heaven, which means his words in Psalm 110, which are quoted here, were not about him. Peter says those words were about Jesus. And what was considered blasphemy was now openly stated by Peter as the truth. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his ascension into the heavens had made clear to the apostles who this Jesus was. And now, says Peter, this Jesus, the one crucified, the one who was dead and is now alive, this Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God in the heavens. This Jesus, the God-man, is now sharing in the power of the majesty on high. This Jesus the Holy One, having taken on human nature, is now seated on a throne in heaven next to his Father. And oh, by the way, this Jesus has now been named up. He has been given by God, his Father, the title Lord and Christ. This Jesus is Lord. This Jesus is the one of whom Paul says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God his Father. This Jesus is the one of whom God speaks in the Psalms when he says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today you, I have become your father. Ask me and I will give the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. This Jesus is the one of whom the writer of Hebrews speaks when he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This Jesus is the one whom David spoke when he wrote the words Peter quoted, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This Jesus we serve, this Jesus we worship, this Jesus we uphold, this Jesus we proclaim, this Jesus we bow down before him, this Jesus we worship and adore him, this Jesus is Lord and this Jesus is Christ. 
this Jesus, this Jesus is the one whom one day all the kings of this earth will bow down to. The day is coming. The day is coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, people of God. Amen. This Jesus was delivered up. This Jesus was raised up. And this Jesus was named up. This Jesus is the one we are called to proclaim in Southeast Grand Rapids. This Jesus is the one we are called to proclaim throughout the state of Michigan. This Jesus is the one that we are called to proclaim throughout this nation. This Jesus is the one we are called to proclaim throughout this world. This Jesus is our King and our Lord. And so the response to that truth <laughs> about this Jesus is made clear in the Apostle Peter's sermon. Those convicted by the truth about the Lord Jesus are called to do two things, repent <laughs> and receive His name through baptism. And that's my call to you this morning. It's the same thing. If you're convicted by the Scriptures today as you've heard them preached by preached by me this morning, the encouragement I have to you is repent. If you not change your mind about who Jesus is, to believe that He is the one who was delivered up and raised up and made King, then the Lord calls out to you today to repent, to turn from trusting in your own rule over your own life, and to turn to His. He calls you to turn away from your sins, sins that have separated you from God to turn to Him in faith for the new life that He offers to all those who believe in Him. Two thousand years later, the King is still reaching out through His servants, and He is still saying, repent and believe who I am. Trust, turn and trust in Him for life, for freedom from the rule of sin and death. And it's also a message for those of us who, ha who have trusted in Him, who have through Him, been set free from our sins. It's a message to us who have turned and have put our faith in Jesus to be king over our lives. It's a message to keep walking in that repentance, to keep turning by faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit away from those sins which have ruled over us. Where we see ourselves giving in to anger or malice or lust or greed or pride or lying or stealing and the like, the Lord Jesus calls out and He says to us, turn away and cry out for healing and cleansing. And it's one of the great truths of Scripture that remains true for all who look to Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that promise has not Changed. It is as true today as it was when it was spoken all those years ago. If you confess your sins, even right now in this moment, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive you and He will cleanse you.
from all unrighteousness. That is true over you today, people of God. And so receive that. The second thing, last thing, that Peter calls to in responding to this Jesus is to receive his name. And I'm saying, I'm saying receive his name because baptism is a sign and a seal of our union with Christ. When we are baptized with water in his name, we by the power of the Spirit are being united to him. And all the blessings of being united to him are then truly offered and applied to us. Peter tells us that in baptism, the Lord signs and seals that our sins have been forgiven. And through baptism, he reminds us that the Spirit of God is now on the inside of us. If you've trusted in Jesus but haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to do so because God wants to show you and he wants to apply to you through that baptism the reality of the things that are now yours in Jesus, forgiveness, new life. And for those of you with children, he wants, he wants you, if your faith is in him, to have them baptized as well. Why? Because to your covenant children, he holds out the same promises. So that if they put their faith in him, when they come of age, they will be able to look back and acknowledge the faithfulness of God to them. Can I tell you something? Faithfulness doesn't start with us. It starts with God. And for those of you who have already been baptized, already received that name of Christ over you, Peter's word should be a cause to remember. A cause to remember that you have received these blessings of forgiveness and life through the power of the Spirit. These things are yours today, and they are yours forever. And so when the lies of Satan and when the lies of your own flesh, your own sin nature, when the lies of the world around you tell you that you are still what you were before Jesus, remember your baptism. Remember that at that time, God placed his name on you. Remember that at that time, he said to you, you are forgiven, you are washed, you are cleansed. And that is now not just today, but forever. This Jesus is Lord and Christ, and the only proper response is to repent <laughs> and to be baptized in His name. What's in the name? Well, if it's the name of Jesus, then the answer is everything. This Jesus was delivered up. God handed Him over for our sins to set us free from them and from the death that is the cost of them. This Jesus was raised up. Death could not hold him down. He is the risen King. We don't ser serve a dead Savior, but a living one. And this Jesus was named up. God made him Lord and Christ. He is God and King. And in the name of this Jesus, we are called to repent, be united to him through the Holy Spirit, being baptized as a sign and seal of that union. This Jesus deserves our worship, for, for He is the one who has done it all. Amen, people of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You. Thank You for giving Your only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We praise you and worship you and give you thanks 
that you delivered them up for us all, that you raised them up from the dead, and that you gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to your glory, God. And so we pray, help us to remember and submit our lives to this Jesus, who is our King, who is our Lord, who is our Master. Help us, help us to walk in His ways in everything we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.